0: Welcome to Out of the Question, a podcast that looks behind some common questions and uncovers the question behind the question while providing real solutions for biblical world and life view. Your co-hosts are Pastor Steve Macias and Andrea Schwartz, a teacher and mentor. Hi, this is Pastor Steve Macias with the Out of the Question podcast.
1: And this is Andrea Schwartz, his co-host.
0: And this is episode number 47. And today is January the 18th. Andrea, would you like to introduce our question?
1: If I resist the state in things they say we must do, don't I risk losing my children? What do you think, Steve? What's the question behind that that they should really be asking themselves?
0: Well, the question behind that, I think, to borrow from our friend, Dr. Ray Sutton, is who owns the family? When we talk about the family and, and what they are, what it is, what do they belong to? Are they property of the state? Do they belong to our government? Um, are they something for parents to decide? I think that's the question behind that question. So now that we have outlined the question and the question behind the question, would you be interested in introducing our guest?
1: Yes, indeed. Our guest today is Bradley Pierce of Heritage Defense. Heritage Defense states its mission to be the advancement of the kingdom of Christ by protecting and empowering the biblical family. This organization is an alliance of Christian families and individuals actively championed by attorneys and staff who are dedicated to fulfilling the mission through the vigorous application of biblical standards and methodology in the areas of law and public policy. Bradley, Welcome to Out of the Question.
2: Thank you very much for having me. It's good to be with you.
1: So start off, if you would, with some history of who you are, your background, and how this organization came into being.
2: Yeah, so some of my own background is I was raised in a Christian family. I was homeschooled from the age of six years old all the way through, and uh, then went on to uh college and law school, graduated law school and immediately started working with a friend of mine and we started doing a lot of uh his name's Don Hart and we started doing a lot of child protective services cases and he had already been doing them and we saw a real need for an organization that that could be doing this full time, not just here in Texas where we are, but around the country. And so then that led us in two thousand ten To launch Heritage Defense.
1: Now, I first heard about you recently when I was watching a colleague do a video, and he was asking the question, should I join, in terms of what people might ask, should I join Homeschool Legal Defense Association, or should I join Heritage Defense? And he made a clear differentiation between the organizations. Would you share that with our listeners?
2: Sure. So we love our friends at HSLDA and they're one reason that I was able to be homeschooled from the age of six years old because of their work that they did not only here in Texas but across the country and that they continue to do and they continue to fight for our homeschool rights and I'm actually a member of HSLDA as well. But HSLDA member benefits do not extend to non-homeschooling matters. So if a social worker shows up at your door for any other reason other than homeschoolings, and they're not committed to providing representation for those cases. So we saw a real need for an organization to represent folks in those cases, and we approached HSLDA in 2008 and talked to them about that and got got their blessing, you know, as far as, you know, that we were. We, we certainly didn't want to be intruding or anything like that. We only wanted to be a blessing to them and honor all they had done. They, they told us um, that, that we certainly wouldn't be, and so we started this organization for any other reason that a social worker may be knocking on your door, whether it be because someone saw you discipline your child or someone thinks that you need to be doing more vaccinations than you're currently doing or any kind of other false allegation of child abuse or neglect. And that's what what we
0: do. I'm looking at your website right now and I see the last few cases where, where some articles about some popular things you've done uh, bring your daughter back, or we're calling the CPS. Uh, judge orders CPS to have no contact with children they took from family. All these seem to be related to uh, the government attack on on the family. And my wife was homeschooled, and it was a constant fear because of their choice of education that the CPS would find out and come and take their children away. Uh, that never happened. But in your you know estimation, what is the The current atmosphere throughout the country. Should we really be afraid that the government is coming after our families? Is that what we're looking at today?
2: Well, uh, I don't know that I would put it in those terms. I certainly don't think we should be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear with power and love and a sound mind. With that said, I do think that we should be aware of what's going on around the country, that our civil government continues to grab more and more jurisdiction and reach into other areas beyond where its jurisdiction is proper and one of those areas is into the family and and child protective services or social services or whatever it's called in each individual state it goes by lots of names is one way in which with a good stated purpose that is you know to stop child abuse and neglect the government ends up massively overreaching, and in, in a lot of ways doing more harm than good. And it is something that we need to be aware of. And, and we definitely need to be working diligently corporately, all of us together to be pushing back on that and, and putting the government back in its proper jurisdiction. And then individually, we need to make sure that we're prepared to, you know, protect our own families if, if we're ever, if we ever come under a false accusation by it.
1: So, just to be clear with those listening, there are some requirements to become a member. This is not just open to anyone at any place at any time. So, give a little background on how you determined who was going to be your audience or clientele or participants in terms of Heritage Defense.
2: Membership in Heritage Defense is limited to Christian homeschooling families, and we certainly appreciate. Christian non-homeschooling families and even non-Christian families we certainly appreciate them and their their parental rights are just as valuable as anybody else's but right now our membership is limited to Christian homeschooling families because that's that's where we the Christian part is where we feel our particular calling is to defend the biblical family defend families who are seeking to apply scriptural principles in the discipling of their children, and that's a particular calling that we, that we have. The homeschooling aspect is, uh, there's a number of reasons for that. Um, one of them is that we're homeschoolers ourselves. So again, we also feel a particular calling there, but it's also an issue of for people whose children are in government schools or even to some extent in private schools. It's much more difficult for us to be, to be able to help them. In cases, and here's what I mean by that, the main thing that we or one of the one of the rationales behind starting this organization is to give families someone to call at the very very beginning of a case before even even before the social worker maybe has even shown up at the door if, if they know that someone's coming or if they know the report is going to be made to have someone to an attorney to call very early on because our experience has been that if you can get an attorney involved, very very early that it's like a freight train if you can stop it when it's still sitting still on the tracks, it's it's fairly easy to stop but once it gets going it's very very difficult Um, but a lot of people were not hiring attorneys because no one wants to hire an attorney unless they have to because attorneys cost money and so a lot of times people would have child checker services cases and then they would wait and wait and try to handle it themselves and now all of a sudden it's out of control. Okay, now I need to hire an attorney. And a lot of times it was too late. An attorney was only able to do damage control. So as an organ, as a nonprofit organization, we're able to give people someone to call and talk to and not worry about the cost because it's part of their membership. And, um, and so that's, that's what we have now our goals as an organization when we have an individual case of course is is, is any kind of false allegation of child abuse or neglect is to keep child protection services from taking the children uh, obviously that's the ultimate goal but also to keep them from unnecessarily entering into the home and also interviewing the children one thing with folks whose children are educated outside of the home is that in a lot of states child protection services can walk into your child's school, take them out of class and interview them. And they can do that without even providing notice to you of that, uh, in advance, much less getting your consent in advance. So it makes it much more difficult to assist families like that families who are, who are not homeschoolers. Um, there may be a time when, you know, as we grow, we'll be able to extend, you know, representation of those families, but at this time, membership is limited to Christian homeschooling families.
0: Brother, why don't you uh, give us a couple of examples of, of situations where where folks would need to call on your services? Uh, maybe some common scenarios and and why that would be beneficial to call you guys rather than uh, a private attorney or, or something like that.
2: Well, you mentioned the, the case you know that we had on our website here recently. There's a lot of a lot of cases we see are medical medical related where uh, families go to the hospital and uh, or go to the urgent care or go to their doctor and something gets misconstrued or the hospital or the doctor just feels like because they are mandatory reporters under the law that they have to report even though they don't really think an injury is caused by child abuse nevertheless they do they report just to protect themselves and so one of those is you know, that we published recently or republished recently was a, a girl nine years old who got a stomach bug. She stopped eating and walking. And then a, a hospital ordered psychotherapy for seven hours a day. And her parent and their parents said, okay, well, you know, she's homeschooled. She's not used to being away from us. So can we be there with her for the psychotherapy? Uh, cause the hospital was saying that, oh, this is all in her head. And the parents were already kind of uncomfortable about that. And the hospital then said, no, you can't be there. Well, if this is in her head and this is going to be traumatic for her, then probably the worst thing for her would be to undergo psychotherapy seven hours a day outside the presence of her family for five days a week. So the parents said no to that and said, no, we're going to work with our primary care doctor and and, uh, our specialist in getting her care. And simply because the family wanted to go get or wanted to transfer the care of their daughter to other doctors, uh, the hospital threatened to call child protective services. And thankfully we were able to help them in that case navigate that and, and, and keep child protective services from, from getting involved in their family. But, uh, but that's just an example of how cases can quickly turn into child protective services or CPS cases. Um, we also see even sometimes. Something that we see commonly is parents with small children. A uh, child will get outside of the house and get out, you know, in front of the house, and the parent won't notice for a few minutes. Maybe a car will stop, or or a neighbor will see them, and then they'll call the police, and the police call the CPS, and next thing you know, you got a social worker at your door, wanting to not just make sure that the child is okay, but wanting to come into your home and and take, you know, get all of your other children and interview all of them privately even though none of that has anything to do with, you know, the toddler getting out.
1: Now, I was a member of homeschool legal defense for most of the time I homeschooled. I think I was the year they started, I was there. And I gladly and willingly paid my membership, hoping desperately I would never have to use it, which, of course, by God's grace, I never had to use it. But I knew that having this legal insurance or pooled legal help would help other people. Do you recommend that, for example, with member families, if they know they're going to the hospital for something or whatever, that they give you a heads up ahead of time so that they might be able to be at least coached enough to avoid the buzzwords or the things that might trigger child protective services?
2: You know, it's sad you even have to ask that question. (laughs) Um, But yes it is actually, it, it, it is helpful. We have a number of families that do call us um, while they're on their way to the hospital. And, and we do kind of just, you know, just real quickly just point out to them exactly what you're describing. You know, Okay, here's some here's some things to watch out for. Here's some things to be careful about saying. And it, I say it's sad because, you know, it shouldn't be that way. We should be, it shouldn't be that when you take your child to get help, that you have to worry about the person who's helping you is also going to be the person who causes you tremendous trauma by making a false report about you and your family's child protection services. Um, and so it, it chills families, you know, desire to take their children to the doctor or to the hospital, which is, is really sad. Uh, but yes, there, there are a number of families that do that. We have a, an urgent line where families with urgent legal emergencies can call us 24 seven, and so some folks call that line, you know, who are members, they call that line, you know, with a social worker at the door or police at the door Had a few days ago. Or, and sometimes they call that, that line in the example that you just mentioned, you know, while they're on their way to their hospital or, or if they have some other reason that they just need to talk through navigating a sticky situation.
1: Yes, I, I totally agree with you. It shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't have to feel that because we have families, and especially families that have a large number of children, because they end up getting on people's scopes, even who aren't part of governmental agents. Right. I've been at churches, and when they see someone having their fourth or fifth child, you see these looks like, wow, don't these people know how babies come about or something like that. Right. Would you say, and I know you're the dad of seven, Would you say there is a bias in our society against large families?
2: Oh, yes. I I don't think there's a whole lot of question about that. Uh, Large families are definitely viewed with suspicion. And, you know, I think some of it's just there's always a fear of the unknown. Uh, You know, people don't they they don't know what that's like. And or maybe they think, wow, I feel overwhelmed with two or three children. You know, they must be. You know, they must be completely neglecting their children because I don't have time to take care of my two or three or something like that. Obviously, that's not the way that it is, but but yeah, I think there's definitely a a suspicion about families with large children, and I don't know that it necessarily leads to more allegations to 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 CPS. Maybe slightly, but it certainly once CPS does get involved, uh, uh it they're you know. Once, once they find out the number of children, they immediately start uh, being very suspicious, maybe even questioning your sanity.
0: Sure, it starts to inform their bias. Yeah, and that, uh, I think that gets to the other part of what your organization does, and that's to do with, with public policy and, and shaping public opinion. Is there a movement in your organization to help change laws to protect better families? Are there efforts being done that would help... Uh, Protect families when police are at their door or, or in our legal system.
2: Yes, there is uh, something that we want to continue to grow as time goes on, and as we grow, we believe in not only trying to protect families individually, but trying to protect us corporately and state by state. So we're we're definitely in support of uh, changing public policy, and and we've testified on on legislation and and uh, try to keep folks informed about some legislation in their state, too. But we want to do more and more of that.
0: That's great. Well, what I think is what's really powerful about what you're doing, part of my, my story is uh, when I was in college, I was backed up by the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, for doing some free speech stuff with the pro-life issue. And I was given you know, a great deal of, of confidence in standing by our pro-life actions and speech Because I knew that I could call the ADF lawyer and he would come and send notes to the school and and really back up and they had a whole team behind them. And I think that that's really the strength of what you're working on is you add um, some firepower, uh, metaphorically and and, uh, emotionally or or legally uh, in one sense, to the family if they want to stand up for what's right. And back to what, what Andrea started at the beginning of the call, it allows the family to Obey God. And her original question was: if I resist the state, uh, don't I risk losing my children? And I think what's really powerful and and important about your ministry is parents don't have to ask that question when they know that their rights are being uh, defended. That if they are members of this organization, they can parent God's way with confidence that there's going to be legal protection for them.
2: Well, that's what we want. Um, we want we you know if there's if there's fear there then it it can chill our obedience and uh and our taking care of our children properly and so that's one of our big goals and we hear from our members all the time just a similar phrase we hear it over and over and over and that is that it just gives them such peace of mind knowing that there's somebody there to call you know if anything ever happens and and sadly it is, we actually have an article up on our website here recently that a study was, was put out by the American Public Health Association and it's saying that over 37% of children will experience a CPS investigation by the time they turn 18. And you see something like that and that, I mean, that can, that, that sounds scary. But knowing that, you know, there's, there's somebody that you can pick up the phone and call 24-7 Christian attorneys who deal with us all the time. Uh, you know, a lot of folks just tell us that give them peace of mind, and that's exactly why we created this organization.
1: So to take the perspective of the average person who doesn't know that much about homeschooling or the law or anything like that, a logical question is, well, if you have nothing to hide, why wouldn't you have the CPS worker come in and talk to your children? After all, only people who have something to hide aren't willing to be transparent. How do you answer that?
2: Well, you don't, you don't have to look any further than our Constitution to see, to see where that thought process leads. You know, we, we have in our Constitution a right in the Fourth Amendment to be free from unreasonable searches and seizures. We have the right in the Fifth Amendment to be free, to be, the right to remain silent. In both of those situations, you could say, well, wait a second. If you have nothing to hide, why would you mind the government searching your house? Or if you have nothing to hide, why would you mind or why would you want to remain silent? Wouldn't you want to explain what happened? But the problem is those things can be abused. Uh, the government can, you know, abuse the search. They can find things and and twist things or even just innocently misconstrue things that they may find. Um, or they can take things that you've said and twist them or in, even innocently misunderstand them. And so that's why, even though you, as I put it, even though you may think you have nothing to hide, you have everything to lose. You know, when we were talking about your, your children here. And so that's why there are plenty of cases where people thought they had nothing to hide and, and they let child protection services in or they talked to them freely without an attorney and the next thing the next thing they know you know their their families would turn upside down
0: right and i think that there's a case uh, in england last year charlie bard you remember that case with the the infant yeah. who was on on life support and that seemed to, to get international attention and over in the uk they of course have socialized health care with the the national healthcare service as we are now in uh, a healthcare system that's increasingly government-controlled, I can imagine that, like you mentioned, that medical questions of parental rights and and what our children do or not do under the supervision of doctors and their family is going to be com- competing. It's going to be more and more contentious as time goes on. Is there a place where your organization is defending the the conscience of, of parents to make medical decisions? Do you think that that's a battle that, that Christians should be involved in.
2: Yes and yes. Um, it's definitely something that, that we care deeply about. Uh, you know, no, no parent has the right to criminally put their children in a, in a uh, dangerous situation. But most of the cases that we're, you know, that we're seeing are not that. There are cases where parents are making reasonable decisions based upon even the advice of other physicians about the care of their children and simply because one institution or one physician disagrees with them, now all of a sudden they have a child protective services case where their ability to make medical decisions for their children is being stripped from them, and even sometimes they're being their child is being stripped from them, and that that's something that we absolutely, you know, absolutely care about, and, and those those quickly turn into child protective services cases because that's how the doctors uh, they use, you know, will use child protection services then to force the children to get certain medical procedures, even if the parents disagree.
1: Now, this may sound like a cynical question, but what's in it for these agencies? Is there money in it if they seize children? Is there some advantage? And do they seem to take advantage of people who they assume have no recourse?
2: Well, you know, it's it's hard to nail down exactly what each person or even each agency's motivations are, but there there certainly are some. You know, I, I think some things driving it. There, there's there's definitely a view that you know children belong to the belong to the community. In fact, I'm even quoting a, a this is actually from a, a a message that a popular some news news personality said. You know, children don't belong to their Family, they belong to communities. Or we've even heard presidential candidates say, you know, it takes a village, right? It takes a village to raise a child. And so there's definitely that view that, oh, I have a personal responsibility to parent every child, you know, that I encounter and to second guess the parenting decisions of everybody else. So that there's, there's that kind of meddling that's going on in our culture today and the, the view that we all, you know, think that we're, we could, parent other people's children better than they do. I think that's going on. Uh, there's certainly the power that comes with it. Uh, if you want to get power over a family, just just take one of their children from them, and they'll pr- do pretty much anything you want at that point. Um, you can get parents to go to, you know, if you think, they're, if you think they, that this family could benefit from counseling or anger management or this or that, the moment you remove a child, they'll pretty much agree to anything. And so there's certainly power that's gained by doing that. At a local level, there's there's federal dollars that flow for removing children. Uh, there's some perverse incentives that are created there because of the way that states get more money for removing children than they do for reunifying them with their families. Um, and so that's a problem. Uh, but there's all kind of you know there's all kind of problems.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think you're you're onto something there too, Bradley about uh, the power and authority. You know, it reminds me, of, of course, of uh, the Roman state during the time of the apostles. Uh, even if there is, you know, not a malice intent, you know, I think a lot of people who believe that they're raising children according to the government school standards believe they're doing it for the best of the children. They, they believe their own, you know, philosophies are better for your children than the Christian way. And maybe they're, they're not trying to force, you know, perverse lifestyles or, or anything like that, or maybe they're not even doing it for money. Although there are, of course, situations where all of those things are true. The power and the authority is the question that Christians have always faced. In the early Roman Empire, Christians could have easily lived lived their lives exactly how they wanted. They could have raised their Christian families as large as they wanted, as long as they were willing to give reverence to make an offering to the state. And so from the very beginning of Christianity, it was always a conflict of authority, who owns the family. So I think you're you're right on there. But what I think is especially important about what the work you're doing is that it, it really fits in with what St. Paul did and that St. Paul recognized that he was a full Roman citizen. And so in order for him to defend the Christian family and defend the church, he went to them and used their own law. He had to know it and defend it and protect it better than they did. And so when I hear you talk about the you know the Fourth Amendment and defending our privacy, I think that that's really echoing the mission of St. Paul of, we're not just Americans uh, and we're not just Christians. We are members of this kingdom, and we're going to use every tool at our disposal to defend the family. So thank you for for all the work that you're doing, and I hope that echoes some of your sentiments.
2: Thank you, absolutely. Yeah, we we think about Paul um, whenever he. Yeah, invokes his rights as a Roman citizen. Think about Paul whenever he was wrongfully imprisoned, and and they realized it, and they they tried to shoot him out of the prison, and he said, "No, come, you have to come down here and let me out yourself, because everybody needs to see you by your conduct admit that you were wrong." Um, and he he definitely stands upon his rights as a citizen. Obviously, you know we think that that's important, and that's what we need to be doing.
1: So a question I have for you is this, Bradley. You'll represent families who are member families, but there is a wide group of opinion, you might say, even within Christian circles on things that are appropriate and things are not. So for example, a child could be diagnosed with cancer, but the family and the child, neither one of them wants chemotherapy or radiation and yet you might have a team of doctors. You might even have people in their church that think chemotherapy and radiation is the way to go, and it's the only way to go. So do the lawyers at your organization have to agree with the stance the family is taking, or do you defend the family in terms of what they want?
2: Well, we have in our membership agreement that – you know, we, we get to make the final determination about whether we, you know, if it's a case that we're not comfortable, you know, assisting with, or if, you know, uh, we think the family's doing something wrong, then, you know, we're, we're not going to help them. We're, we're certainly not going to help people who are being ab- abusive. Um, but that said, you know, every case is different. Every case has to be taken on a case by case basis. You know, when it comes to, those kind of really serious medical decisions there's a whole lot of factors that go into you know deciding whether whether that's something that we'd be able to help with or not you know are there other physicians involved what are they saying what's their advice you know what kind of cancer are we talking about you know like i said no parent has the right to recklessly endanger the life of their child that's a crime but we start with a presumption that the decision is to be made by the parent, not by the state, not by the doctors, not by anybody else. We start there. And, um, and, and normally that's where, that's where things end.
1: So there's part of your involvement with families is to involve some counseling if you say, all right, you're holding this stance. However, it might be a good idea to get other medical opinions or things like that so that things don't get to the crisis point
2: exactly and that's that's why um you know especially on the medical thing that's where people have been and and we definitely encourage folks to call us very early on so that we can help them navigate that and and get other opinions and and get not only for the sake of making the best medical decision for their child but also for the sake of putting them in the best possible legal position to to demonstrate that that they are um you know really you know care, being careful about the decisions that they're making.
1: Well, vaccinations are a very hot button issue. Does your organization take a position one way or the other on whether or not they're right or wrong, or do you de- defer to the idea of this should be a parental decision?
2: We believe that parents should have the freedom to make that decision for their children. Um, and that's not something where it's it's like a you know terminally terminal issue or something where you're obviously endangering your child. And that's something where that decision needs to be left to the parents and we support them, Whatever, whichever way they decide to go.
1: Now, I did ask um, your assistant when I was talking to him to get some background that you specifically do not deal in cases where a couple's in the midst of a divorce and there's a, um, a struggle for the children. That's not something in the purview of what your organization does. Is that Correct
2: correct those are very tragic situations and and we we're, we're glad that there are attorneys out there who do represent folks but that's that's not part of what we do
1: right now i'm not in the position that i have children living at home but i remember not only what i would think when i had these situations but i talked to lots of other homeschool families what happens in a situation where let's say a large family because things can be more complicated Where you have a child who is acting in a rebellious way, and the state tries to pit that child against the family, you might be looking at normal rebellion, not that rebellion is normal, but not something that's terribly unexpected. Does heritage defense get involved in those kinds of situations?
2: Um, can you be, I'm not, I, I, okay. I may not be understanding your question.
1: Okay. So let me clarify. So you have a family and there are rules and the rules say you can't have your phone on or you can't have so much screen time yes. and somewhere along the line in church youth group or whatever, they hear that you don't have to take this from your parents. You could make this challenge, but we're still talking about a minor child. And now because of some advice from an external source, the family now has a problem because now the child is acting rebelliously, but that child's actions and statements, and I've done cases of this, where then people come in to investigate the rest of the family. So you have opposition within the family with a minor child as somebody who's defying it. I hope that's not the case for most people listening, but I do know of cases where it has been that way.
2: Yes, I will certainly we know cases like that too and we have handled cases like that. And and those can be very difficult because it's it's kind of like you've heard the phrase, you know, the calls are coming from inside the house. Um and that's scary and that that's what's happening in these cases is that, you know, the report that's being made to child protective services is coming from one of the children um who's trying to use child protective services a lot of times. Um, in order to manipulate their parents, and 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 a lot of times they don't even know the full gravity of what they're doing until it's too late. Yes, we've certainly been involved in those kind of cases, and those are those are some of the the more difficult ones, even just from a heart level to deal with. But um, but thankfully, we've been able to help families with those too.
1: That's good. What does it cost to be a member?
2: So membership is $195 or $19 a month for the first year. And then in subsequent years, it's $145 or, again, for folks who want to do it on a monthly basis, it's $15 a month. That's pretty reasonable. Well, you know, the average cost of an attorney's time is about $225 an hour. And so folks folks can be members of Heritage Defense for less than one hour of that.
0: That seems like a, a worthy... A worthy investment to protect your family uh, from the from the state and from the government. But let's talk about some more uh, examples. Uh, I, I know you have different cases in your on your on your website, but I hope you don't mind if we, we go through a couple different hypotheticals and tell us about where the organization stands and, and you know, what you'd recommend. Here in sure. in California, we have all kinds of different laws pre- uh, presented every day. We have a uh, even here to attend a school. You have to be certain vaccination. You have to do certain things. But beyond that, we also have this this rising trend nationally and in the media of children and their identity, right, in that relationship to their parents, specifically with with gender. You know, children claim to be uh, a certain gender, or children claim to be born in the wrong body. All these kinds of things. What do you think is is the role of Of the family and its discipline and its standards and should the state be getting involved in have you had to deal with any situations like this where uh, these philosophical ideas that have been coming from from the left and from atheists are now permeating christian families how do we defend our our god-given identities from political ideologies And, and what role do we have legally
2: you know, I have, we haven't dealt with a case like that with, with, um, you know, gender issues specifically, thankfully. Um, we definitely think it's the, you know, that it's the parents' jurisdiction to, you know, to make decisions for their children, uh, again, that aren't, that are not abusive. You know, we do, there, there are states, and this is an area of more public policy than of cases that we've seen, but well, there are states, and I'm thinking specifically of Oregon, but I know there are others where a child can go get surgeries, um, and go get medical procedures done without parental consent and sometimes even without parental notice and sometimes even paid for by the state. And so that's, that's a big problem. Uh, you know, that's, that those are definitely some laws that need to be changed and rolled back in order to, um, you know, put the jurisdiction back. Back in the hands of the family, where it's supposed to be to make those decisions for their children.
0: Yes, certainly, and in a less severe sense, I think that one of the ways that the parent rights are being eroded and derided are in the case of of discipline. Modern psychologists would tell us that the traditional ways of, of keeping our kids in order or disciplining them or punishing them uh, might be uh, psychologically damaging. Uh, it's almost like a, a way of, of censuring Christian ideals. And while at one time, even public schools used to use the rod and and use corporal discipline, while that might not be advocated today, um, there are still some folks today who would think that uh, certain verbal or or psychological punishments might be inappropriate. And it makes me think as a parent with with small children, every time I go out to, to Costco, is somebody going to overhear me say the wrong thing to correct my child, or say the uh, right. give them tell them they're going to get the wrong punishment, uh, or you know, we have to parent with uh, a certain precaution of the public around us? Uh, is that a common concern for parents around the country?
2: Absolutely. Well, and it's one of those things that you know it's it is legal, but you know if you do it in public, that someone's probably going to make a report. And uh, so, that's definitely something that uh, is is taboo. Even though statistically, most people do exercise corporal discipline, both Christians and non-Christians. It's a very high percentage of people who still do that and believe that it's, you know, an appropriate way to discipline children. But absolutely, it can quickly turn into a child of service situation. And as far as you know, our perspective, we certainly support the the right of parents to discipline their children, you know, even exercising corporal discipline in in a loving, biblical way.
1: I would think that uh, aside from individual families supporting your organization, grandparents, churches in general, Heritage Defense is doing more than helping individual people. It's helping to prevent bad precedent for going on the books and then also to revamp and revisit certain laws in terms of their benefit to the family or antagonism. So I would hope those who are listening would uh, go to your website, which I'll ask you to give it at the end here, but to realize that this is a fight that includes future generations, because what we do now will affect what happens 10, 15 years from
2: now. Yeah, that's right. Um, thank you. Yes, we, we definitely agree that we We have to draw a line and we have to say no. And um, if we don't, then we're just going to keep losing our rights. And I would like to
1: see churches invite representatives from Heritage Defense in, because sadly, I can't tell you how many times I've had Christian families say to me, you know, the people next door homeschool, and I think they spend way too much time on piano and music, and not enough time on other subjects, and I have to remind these people, okay, that's not how you would do it, but why do you think calling in the police or child protective services, which some have talked about they were thinking of doing, aside from the fact that it's wrong on a biblical sense, are you prepared for what happens when the children now are not part of their family anymore? So I, I think there's a general yeah. education that
2: needs to happen. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's that. Just you're just revealing, you know. What I thought about earlier, we have, in our culture today, we have kind of a general, general culture of meddling in, in other people's lives. But at the same time, we on the flip side of that, we also have a culture of 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 not being willing to meddle uh, when we should, and and or when we think we should. And, and here's what I mean by that let's say you see a situation and you think, oh, there's something really is uh, abusive going on there uh, or something really is wrong going on there. Well, you know, maybe there may be a time where it's like, okay, that's, there's something clearly, you know, even criminal going on, you know, yes, the civil government does have jurisdiction here. So, you know, or, or maybe there's just something that just looks off to you. And, And, but instead of actually going to the, Family and saying, "Hey, you know what's going on here," We're, we instead call the police or we call child of services, and then they get involved and things really escalate. When you know, and I say this because a lot of the cases that we deal with look exactly like that. You know, if someone sees something and they misconstrue it or misunderstand it. They don't take the time to just approach the parents themselves and say, "Hey." I've you know, I saw X, Y, Z. You know what's going on, and the parents be able to say, "Oh, that was this innocent thing happened, or this was what's going on," and there's an easy explanation for it. A lot of times, instead of doing that, I think a lot of times we lack the courage uh, to to confront people, and or even just question people, and we think, "Oh, I'm just I'm just going to call the government to do it for me. Uh, I'm going to call the government to to be a good neighbor for me." And when you do that, you're not just calling someone in to, who's going to be a good neighbor and help them be a better parent. You're calling someone in, you know, you're swinging a sledgehammer when, you know, a, a much smaller tool is what's necessary here. And now now they have, you know, child exit services threatening to take their children over something that was a very innocent situation.
1: If you look at the foster care system, I realize there are people who are helped by it But there are some horror stories in terms of foster care and how many children who age out of the foster care end up being on the street and getting involved in prostitution. So if your whole view of government intervention has to do with shows on television, which make it look so pristine and good, you need to be disabused of the idea that you're actually helping. If your goal is to help, as you said, Get involved. Go up to your neighbor and say, you know, do you guys need a night out or something? We'll watch your kids, or not turn every molehill into a mountain.
2: Right, right. Yeah, exactly.
0: Well, as we are here in January, and we're, you know, uh, remembering and and having uh, an opportunity to remember the anniversary of, of Roe v. Wade, I think that that idea. Uh, the 1973 case of Roe v. Wade and how it legally changed the treatment of the unborn uh, has really informed uh, what you talked about here in protection of the family. I think that it's it's rather interesting that the cases early on in our in our country having to do with privacy and, and family rights began with um, the idea of privacy that you mentioned, and we we actually talked about in our last podcast about how. Uh, questions and ideas of opinion, how they impact our families. And here today, I think it's interesting to point out that the modern left or the, or the modern statist, when they talk about privacy, they've, they've made everything that 50 years ago would have been considered abuse. Uh, homosexuality, uh, normalization of pedophilia, they've made uh, behaviors such as uh, teaching things contrary to God's law in the public school, hatred of, of God, the, all of those things have been acceptable. Homosexuality and the law have been made acceptable, but the idea of the family having any type of privacy or the family reserving any rights to right. express their values have all become persecuted. And I, I think that it's, it's so remarkable that in just a few short years, Christians have let their guard down and let so much change in this country. I think what your organization is doing is, is admirable, but we need the church and the family and the individuals to really stand up and, and get alongside you uh, to represent these causes.
2: Thank you, yeah, you know, when you, as I am hear you talking, I think it all comes back to, I mean, this is getting beyond the legal, but um, it comes back to idolatry, comes back to the garden, and we have this idea that we shall be as gods and, and we, you know, I will be autonomous in my own life and I, I will decide what is right and wrong, but I, I'm not only going to be the God of my own life, I'm going to be the God of your life. And if you, if the way you're, exor- you're living your life, you know, even implicitly infringes on my autonomy, then, 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 uh, you've got a problem. Yes, yeah, um, certainly. That's, that's what's going on.
0: And, and to echo certainly what you're saying, I think that it's not just important that we defend the family. Uh, we go back to you know, Abraham Kuyper's view of sphere sovereignties. Families must be robust and, and actively defending their rights because the reason the state has gotten so large is because this family has retreated and gotten so small. They've let so many areas fall out of their influence. And every time another sphere of government expands or contracts the, you know, there's that kind of equal opposite reaction. So the only way to get the the government to shrink back to its proper size is for the family to reestablish its role as a significant place in forming culture, in forming our children and education and legal and public policy. So what you're doing is, is forming a beachhead in the right direction.
2: Thank you. We're doing it by the grace of God. All
1: right. So Bradley, how do people get in touch with you Give them the drill on what they might do if they're interested in signing up themselves or maybe even signing up for someone else or making a donation to help other families.
2: Sure. So everybody can go to our website at heritagedefense.org, heritagedefense.org, and we have information there about all of us, about joining for your family, about donating. And um, if you want to sponsor another family to donate, then they can fill out the application and, um, and you can put your credit card in there um, or you can call us in and, put to, and provide us a credit card. But whatever, whatever works best for folks. But HeritageDefense.org is where people can do all that.
1: Steve, do you have any recommendations for our listeners in terms of how to become better versed on this subject?
0: I I certainly have some suggestions on reading. Uh, If we want to go back to the uh, Chalcedon Library, of course, we all need to understand uh, the politics of of guilt and pity. Pick up that book and understand really the foundations of how uh, the state and the system of of government that the United States has been taken over by functions. What are the philosophical ideas that lead people to question the, the authority of the family, of the husband and the wife and the children? Um, and then, outside of the Chalcedon Library, I would certainly recommend uh, the book I mentioned earlier, uh, "Who Owns the Family" by by Ray Sutton, where he goes through the three spheres—you know, the church, the the state, the family—and talks about uh, where their authority is. And of course, uh, we would have to talk about John Whitehead, a, a friend of Chalcedon for many years, and his book uh, "Parents' Rights," uh, which talks about uh, the various things that are being encroached on by the government and I'm sure that he mentions uh, a lot of the th- same things that Bradley's working on.
1: All right. We have to understand the war and the battles in that war. If we're going to be able to successfully stand on God's word. Listeners, thank you for joining us. If you have any suggestions or comments on this or other topics we've discussed, feel free to contact us at outofthequestionpodcast at gmail.com. Steve, we'll talk next time.
0: Thank you, Andrea. Thank you
2: for having me. Thanks for listening to Out of the Question. For more information on this and other topics, please visit calcedon.edu.